Psalm 139 this morning. Psalm 139. It's a lengthy psalm, so we will read it as we preach uh, in order to uh, save our time and use it wisely this morning. The title of this morning's sermon, if you said, Brother Jason, can you give me Psalm 139 in six words or less, I would just simply say to you that Psalm 139 is knowing the God who knows you. Knowing the God who knows you. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? These are all just a few of what we call the ultimate questions of life. Questions that run through our minds and haunt us all of our lives. Do I really matter? Does my life really have a purpose? If God exists, does He know that I exist? And if He does, does He even care that I exist? To these very important questions, Psalm 139 responds with a resounding yes. With a resounding yes. You see, this psalm instructs us in knowing the God who knows us. In knowing the God who knows us. The pastor of the early, uh, of the mid-20th century, a guy by the name of A.W. Tozer, once said this in his most famous book. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is... The most important thing about us. What first, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Why? Why does he say, why does he make such a comment? Because here's the deal. What you think about God has a direct effect on how you think about yourself. What you think about God has a direct effect on what you think about yourself. We live in the age of identity crisis, right? We live in the day where more so probably ever in human history, people struggle with self-identity. And so when you go to bookstores, which there are not many left these days, but Back when we had bookstores, if you go onto Amazon and, and you look on Amazon to find out what are the top-selling genres of books in the world today, what you will find is that self-help still is the largest section in bookstores. And most of the time, you will find the top-selling books on Amazon to fall into the category of self-help. And what happens is, in self-help books, self-help books do not help us because they encourage us to look for help in all the wrong places. And the Bible, in Psalm 139, encourages us that if we really want to know who we are, and we want to know our purpose in life, and we want to know why we exist, then we first must know God. Psalm 139 was penned by King David 
And it clearly divides into four stanzas. It's a song, so four stanzas, six verses in each of the stanzas. The word know, when you're reading, the, when you're reading a passage of Scripture, especially a chapter, what you're doing is you're trying to find those words that the Scripture repeats. Why? Because uh, uh, if, if the Bible in a short period of time is repeating a particular word over and over again, that is a sign that the Bible is trying to clue us into, hey, here's the point of the text. And so we find six different times in verses 1, 2, 4, 6, 14, and 23, we find the word know. Why? Because King David wants us to know the God who knows us. David knew, as we must know, that wrong ideas about God will inevitably lead to wrong ideas about who we are. Such wrong thinking can tragically lead to wrong decisions, leading to the wrong path, and resulting in the wrong destiny. David wants us to know the God who knows us. When you know the God who knows you, you will understand you. You will understand you. John Calvin, the great theologian, said, Neatly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. What then does Psalm 139 teach us about our God and ourselves that we must never forget? Are you ready? Number one, we are made by an omniscient God. We are made by um, um, an omniscient God. And I think I went off this morning and forgot to put out the bulletin, so sorry for that. But if you're taking notes, we are made by an omniscient God. Look at what verses 1 through 6 says. Stanza 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, and you discern my thoughts from afar off. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot contain it. You see, omniscient simply means that God is all-knowing. And here's what you need to know this morning. The all-knowing God does know you. The all-knowing God does know you. Now, I got another quote from Tozier. It's a little lengthy, so I put it up on the screen. But I want you to hear him talk about the omniscience, the all-knowing God. He says that God is omniscient, is not only taught in the Scriptures, it must be inferred also from all else that is taught concerning Him. Now, listen to this. God perfectly knows Himself, and being the source and the author of all things, it follows that He knows all that can be known. And this he knows instantly and with a fullness of perfection that includes every possible item of knowledge concerning everything that exists or could have existed anywhere in the universe at any time in the past or that may exist in the centuries or ages yet unborn. 
God knows instantly and effortlessly all matter and all matters. All mind and every mind. All spirit and all spirits. All being and every being. All creaturehood and all creatures. Every plurality and all pluralities. All law and every law. All relations, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feeling, all desires. Every unuttered secret. All thrones and dominions. All personalities, all things visible and invisible in heaven and in earth. Motion, space, life. Time, life, death, good, evil, heaven, and hell. Because God knows all things perfectly, He knows no thing better than any other thing. (laughs) But all things equally well. He never discovers anything. He's never surprised. He's never amazed. He never wonders about anything. Nor except when men, uh, when drawing men out out for their own good, does He seek information or ask questions. God is self-existent and self-contained and knows what no creature can ever know himself perfectly. The things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Only the infinite can know the infinite. You may not have got all that, but I hope you just got what he was trying to get at. (laughs) That God knows everything. And there's not anything that God doesn't know. What does the text say that God knows about me? Well, how about this? God knows my heart. He knows my heart. Isn't that what verse 1 said? Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. I don't know about you, but that is both convicting and comforting. God knows your character. He knows the real you. God knows you and me inside and out. He has exhaustive knowledge of us. Everybody in this room has what we might call soul secrets, right? You got your secrets? You got your stuff that nobody else knows about? That we keep hidden from everyone, even those closest to us? We are relieved to know that no one else knows these things about us. That no one else knows the thoughts or the emotions that we have felt. However, the Bible says, guess what? Somebody does know. The Lord has searched you and He knows it all. Our heart, our soul is an open book to God. But not only does God know my heart, but God knows my actions. He knows my actions. He knows all my actions. You know, when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar off. You search, you search out my path, my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. God knows our conduct, both public and most of all, private. The you in this text, you search out, is in the emphatic, that the emphasis is on God. You know this, God. You know my setting and my rising. It simply means you know everything that I do. You know every action that I take. You cannot as much as take a seat or leave it without God having marked it. This word search means to sift through something, to to sort the good from the bad. It carries the idea of a police officer searching 
a man for contraband, or pillagers who are ransacking a house for loot. The Lord knows all these things naturally about us. It, it doesn't require any effort on His part. Furthermore, searching does not imply ignorance. It simply means that the Lord knows us thoroughly as if He had examined us minutely and had pried into the most secret corners of our being. There is not anything about you that the Lord does not know. So, He knows my thoughts. He knows my actions, He knows my heart, and He knows my words. He knows my words. This God who made me that's all-knowing knows my words. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, You know it all together. <laughs> God knows our conversations. And those are the conversations that we will have. He knows what you're going to say before you say it. And He knows them exhaustively and completely. You and, you and I, in an unguarded or angry moment, blurt out something foolish or hurtful. And what do we say? I didn't mean to say that. I, I hadn't planned on saying that. And you know what the Lord says? Yeah, you did. I knew what you were going to say before you said it. God, God's not surprised... He's not, he's not caught off guard at the least of what we do or what we say. But something else that God knows. God knows my destiny. God knows my destiny. He says, you hem me in behind and before. You lay out your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot contain it. attain it. God knows our course of life. In fact, look what it says. It says, He says, I've hemmed you in. I've surrounded you. I've enveloped you. I've enclosed you. With what? Look what He says. He lays His hand upon me. In Hebrew poetry, this is an expression of God's love. God has, clo he has enclosed me. He has hemmed me in. With what? With His love. And that's why the psalmist says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Do, do you get what the psalmist is saying? The psalmist is saying this, God knows my, he knows my heart, He knows my actions, He knows my words, He knows my destiny, and yet He loves me. He loves me. What have you thought and done today already that would be repulsive to God? That would at least say to God, I don't love you. In what ways have you, have you and I been disobedient to the Lord? Maybe in ways that nobody else even knows about this morning, but the, but the Lord knows. And, and He says to us in this psalm, and in this song, He says to us, Listen, if you're my children, I'm going to hem you in, 
I've got you surrounded. It's like I've besieged a city. The castle of your heart has been surrounded. The castle of your life is surrounded by my army. I have enclosed you. I have hemmed you in with what? With my love. You know what he's saying? You can't get away from me. But why would you want to? The word wonderful is in the emphatic position at the beginning of the sentence and strengthens its force. It has the idea of extraordinary or surpassing. You see, divine omniscience is simply too high for us to obtain. Try as we might, we just can't go there. It's beyond our wildest imagination. God knows me better than I know myself, and yet He says, I love you. Well, not only were we made by an omniscient God, but we are made by an omnipresent God. So not only does He know us, but He is always present with us. For time's sake, I won't read verses 7-12, through 12, but it, it talks about the different places. David is asking, where can I go from your presence? Where can I go from your, from your spirit? And he talks about Sheol, which is the place of the grave. He talks about heaven, which is above. He talks about the, the, the wings of the dawn, which would be the east. He talks about the, Medi- the uttermost depths, which would be the Mediterranean to the west. Here's what David is saying in poetic language. It doesn't matter where I go, north, south, east, or west. I cannot escape your presence. You are always with me. Now again, for some people, that that could scare you to death. That God is always with you. But if you know Him, if you know the God that has made you, to have the confidence to know that no matter where you go, He is there. And probably the scariest place for all of us to go, if we were just honest, is the grave. And yet it says the Lord will be there. He is with us. He's with me wherever I go. According to verses 7 through 10. David says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I go from you? And and, and he doesn't answer it. But it's, the reason why he doesn't is because you already know the answer. Nowhere. I can go nowhere away from your presence. Not one place. If I go to heaven, he's there. If I go to the grave, he's there. If I go to the east, he's there. If I go to the west, he's there. There's nowhere I can go. God is not only everywhere I go, God is everywhere I am. If I'm in the dark place, He's there. If I'm in the light, He's there. No matter where I I go, no matter where I am, there He is with me. How many of you, one of your greatest fears is being alone? How many of you can't stand to be alone? No matter who we are, 
I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm an introvert by nature, which means I tend to like to be alone rather than to be with other people. But here's what I, here's what I can tell you, even about the most introverted pe- person. Nobody likes to be alone. Nobody can do well all by themselves. Why? Because God did not create us to be that way. And listen, in reality, there's not ever one second of your life that you have ever spent in total aloneness. Why? Because the Lord is always where we are. So not only are we made by an omniscient God, an all-knowing God, an all-present God, but we're also made by an omnipotent God. What does that mean? He's he's an all-powerful God. Verses 13 through 18, you form, this this is the one we know so well. You form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame is not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when I was yet, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they would be more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Wow. What a powerful God. The all-powerful God created you. Now, you don't need any more self-help than that. Y'all hear me? You don't need any more self-help than that. God created you. Well, I just don't like the way I look. Well, God created you that way for a purpose, for a reason. You're not tall enough. What I've always found is short people want to be taller and taller people want to be shorter. Fat people want to be skinny and skinny people want to be fat. Those of you that are in my category, and y'all know what that category is, we we don't understand skinny people, do we? Like, I wish I could put on more weight. I eat all the time. I never gain any weight. And it's like, really? I don't know why I got such a high metabolism. Well, cry me a handful. I can eat a dozen donuts and not gain a pound. I look at a dozen and gain ten. I drive by the donut shop and gain weight. But listen, you may not like what you look like, but when the Lord looks at you, He says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He says, I got in the details. Matter of fact, um, when it says, let's see, let me back, see if I can get... Uh, oh yeah, my frame is not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. That intricately woven, do you, really, do, do you know what that means in Hebrew? The best way that we know how to translate that into English is that God was doing fine point needlework. Very intricate, detailed Needlework. Matter of fact, do you know the only other place that Hebrew word is used in the Bible is to talk about the uh, 
the, the uh, uh, tapestries in the Holy of Holies. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. The all-powerful God created you. He, he formed your body. So embrace it. Embrace who you are. Embrace everything about you. God's made you the way He's made you. Yes, you're not perfect. You're broken because of sin. But all those things that we struggle to hate, that we struggle with about ourselves, we need to realize that we are created by the Lord and in His image. Something else. The Lord, not only has He formed your body, but how about this? He's foreordained your life. And, and I really should just preach a whole sermon on this. Maybe we'll come back to this at some time. We, we really don't have the time for it this morning. But listen to what, he's, um, listen to what he says. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when I was yet, when as yet there was none of them. Can I, can, I, can I try to help us out this morning? Christian, God's got a plan. He planned it a long, long, long time ago. And part of His plan was to get your mama and daddy together and get you into this world. And you say, well, I don't even know who my daddy is. I don't even know who my mama is. It don't matter. You know who God is. And God superintended to get you here on, to planet Earth. Why? Because He's got some things written down in His book that He wants you to do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that not only are we saved by grace through faith in verse 8 and 9, but it says we are God's workmanship. We are His, we are His poem. We are His creation created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God had ordained beforehand. I don't know what that is in your life. But I can probably tell you this. It's not big and it's not flashy. Nobody's going to write a book about it. Nobody's going to do a biography on you. And you're probably not going to make it on TV. And probably just a few people will ever know it. But it doesn't matter. And you know what else is comforting to me about this verse? Is death. Nobody dies too soon. There's no premature deaths. There's, he died way, she died way before their time. No. Everyone God has given an expiration date to, and everybody expires on the day that the Lord calls them to. Now, we don't know that date. And we may think in our minds, boy, that was way too soon, that was way too early. 
But the Lord numbers our days, not us. The Lord has that written down in His book. And we can't see it. And I, and I know what some of us struggle with, right? We struggle with trying to figure that out. And, and we, we struggle with trying to make sense of all of that. And I'm just going to say something to you this morning. God is way too big for you to try to figure out. You see, you can either do one of two things with the greatness of God. You can either let the greatness of God drive you away from God, or you can let the greatness of God drive you to worship of Him. And can I say one last thing about this? If you can figure God out, can't be much of a God. Can't be much of a God. Can't definitely be a God that can handle your needs. You see, our problem is we've created a God too small to deal with the largeness of our needs. Why? Because we brought God down to the size that He can be understood by the gray matter in our brain. And trust me, that God, that, can, that, that this brain can somehow wrap, its, wrap itself around is not big enough to deal with the needs of my life. No way. Well, let me give you this last point. We are made by an, om an omnicompetent God. Now, you've probably never heard this omni about God, because this is kind of one we just make up. Omnicompetent. What, what do I mean by omnicompetent? That God is all good. He's all good. We're made by an all good God. Verses 19 through 24, the psalmist is having an issue. Okay? We got wicked people being wicked. And, it, and, and it's just like some of these other psalms that we've read. Wicked people doing wicked stuff, and it seems like God's not doing anything about it. And David just, David looks out at it, and he says, you know what? God, kill every one of them. That's his prayer, literally. God, kill every wicked person on the planet. You know what he's asking for? He's asking for God to do a Genesis 6 all over again. Wipe them out, Lord. Take out the wicked. And listen, Christians, there is nothing wrong with us feeling angry at wrong in the world. Nothing at all. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. There's nothing wrong with us looking out at our world and, and feeling a sense of anger at sin and the brokenness of the world caused by sin. But here's what we need to do. We need to trust that our all-good God is the judge of the universe and that our all-good God will one day not turn a blind eye and evil will get what it deserves. But how about this right now? You know what you need to be careful of when you, when, when you start feeling anger and hatred 
towards evil in the world, that you start feeling anger and hatred towards the people who are doing it. Why? Because when you start wanting to call down judgment on them, what if, what if God had answered somebody else's prayer that was calling down judgment on you before God showed grace and mercy to you? And I love what David does here. We can trust that our omnicompetent God will deal with the wicked. We can trust that He is going to deal with the wicked. Why? Because a good God's not going to let wickedness go unpunished. But listen, our God will lead the humble. I love how David, it's almost like he just slams on the brakes all of a sudden. And, and, and look at what he says in verses 23 and 24. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart, and try, and try me and know my thoughts. Now watch, and see if there be, some translations say, wicked or grievous way in me. Look, he knows you better, you better deal with a log in your eye before you start praying for God to deal with the speck in others' eyes. You, you better start with judgment in your own house before you start asking God to judge everyone else. And how much better would we be as believers? How much better would our interaction with a wicked world be if our prayer started with, Search me, God. And show me who I really am. So that leads me to this conclusion. Since God is omniscient, be real. Be real. He already knows, he already knows you anyway. Why, why, why put on the face? Why put on the facade? Why play the games? Be real. Now, I ain't saying dump your closet out for everybody to see. Now, I'm not saying that. I'm saying be real. And most of all, be real with God. Own it. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, said David. Since God is omnipresent, quit running. Quit running from God. Quit hiding from God. Quit trying to duck God. Some of y'all are... Some, some, maybe many this morning, could be in a Jonah situation. You're running from God. You know what you should be doing. You know the way you should be living. You know what God's told you to do. You know what the Scripture has taught you. And yet you're running as far away from God as you possibly can. Well, just know this. There's a fish somewhere in your, in your future. So just quit running. Why? Do you know what it means to be omnipresent? Can I, can I give it to you in southern vernacular? God ain't never been nowhere. God ain't never been nowhere. Why? Because He's all, He's everywhere. Since God is omnipotent, find rest. Find rest that God is omnipotent. He's all powerful. He's formed you, He's foreordained, He's powerful, He's got this. So just find rest in that. Some of y'all, 
Y'all just need to quit trying to figure stuff out. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying not to study and not to ask questions, but, but, but some of us are taking it way beyond where our, our intellectual... Look, here's our intellectual capacity. It ends here, and some of us are way outside of that capacity. Trying to understand something we can't understand. Rest in God. Rest that He is good, that He is trustworthy, that if He made you in such an intricate way, and that if He's written down your days in, in His book, and if He has foreordained your life, that you can rest and trust in Him. And then lastly, just I, I really said everything this morning to say this one statement. Like this is the sermon right here in one sentence, and I saved it to the end. Since God's ability transcends my reality, it is best to bow to His immensity. God's ability transcends, goes beyond my reality. And it's best in that situation to bow to His greatness, to His immensity. And listen, and that's simply the response to this morning's sermon. Some of us... We are, some of us literally this morning need to bow our knees before the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God. And we need to surrender to Him. Some of us need to do that with our lives in salvation. And some of us who have been Christians need to do that afresh and anew. Not to get saved again, but we need, to, we need to surrender afresh and anew to the Lord. Not make a commitment, but surrender. And guess what? Tomorrow you'll need to do it again, and the next day you'll need to do it again, and, and you'll need to keep on doing it until death takes you and you can live fully surrendered with no issues. But right now, it's daily. And you surrender to an all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present God whose aim and goal for those who will follow Him is nothing but good. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Many of us are struggling this morning because the picture of God in our minds is not the picture that the Bible gives us of who you are. Our, our thoughts of you are way too small. They're, they're way too low. And therefore our lives reflect that. Our, our worship reflects that. Our living reflects that. And it's not that we've thought too high of you, it's that we've not thought high enough. And so this morning, Father, I pray that you would raise our level of thinking to where it needs to be. And then, Father, that you would help those that are struggling this morning with trying to figure out every little nuance of life and everything that you do, that they would just simply realize 
that your thoughts are higher than our thoughts and your ways are higher than our ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are your thoughts and ways. Father, you, you give us a limited amount of understanding. Not so that we will worry, but so that we will worship. And so, Father, may us, may those who need to bow their knees to you for the first time as Lord and Savior, may they do that this morning. And Father, for those that have bowed their knee, but yet find themselves in the need to bow again. Father, I pray that you would grant them repentance as well. Father, in this moment ahead, there's, each person has their own unique need that only you can meet. And I just pray that you would take your word and you would meet every need in this room for your glory and for the good of every person here in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing one last song together this morning.